Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you're doing well and are excited to throw down some old luggage that is weighing you down and your pursuit of God. Um, please, I just want to ask you, take time to share this podcast, share the things that, that I'm talking about with your church, with your family, um, and with your friends, so we can get this into the hands of as many people as possible. Also, I, I, I love to get feedback from you guys, uh, sharing the videos and commenting all of that inspires me and encourages me that the things that God has laid on my heart are not just passing thoughts, but they are a really solid word for the kingdom of God and for the body of Christ in our day. So like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, or any platform form that you listen to. Um, you know, all it's the podcast is on all of those things. So thank you in advance um, for listening and for sharing. All right, buckle up for the ride. Today, I'm going to discuss New Testament legalism and show how this is impacting many believers and hindering them in their relationship with God. So don't go anywhere. We will be the ones to see it through, and everything lost will be renewed. Long ago in the garden it was to be, now a dream fulfilled in you and me. God has been putting a lot on my heart about legalism. I think... um, I think it will help most people in their walks to hear this. I'm going to deal with both sides of legalism. One, strict adhering, strictly adhering to the laws without relationship with God. That is what the primary definition of legalism is, and that's what most people talk about. But I'm also going to talk about the other side of it, which is getting off the hook for sin on technicalities, because both of those things are legalism. Um, I'm going to actually tell a story about that in just a minute. I'm going to deal with legal legalism, <laughs> legalism, um, and how it manifests in both the Old Testament and especially how it appears presently in Christians. So this is this is a big topic that I've I've really been praying a lot, and it's it's kind of sensitive because there's so much. This has been heavily debated throughout the history of the church, and so there are so many people that come down on different sides, and I'm really not trying to to attack much of anything, but there are a few things that I really believe have taken root in a hold in the church that God wants to deal with. And so, so I'll just start out by sharing a story. Um, I was sitting in a courtroom one day. I was, had a, a speeding ticket. This is quite a while ago, actually. This is probably going on 20 years ago. I was sitting in a courtroom and I, and as I was waiting for my, uh, my speeding ticket to come up. I had to wait through general sessions court. And so they had a bunch of different cases that came up and I listened to the arguments made for a criminal who was caught with a house full of drugs. He had been arrested and caught in the act. Literally they were making meth in the house as they were caught. And I listened as the defense argued that the warrant had been made out for by the description in the warrant, possibly it was the wrong house because it didn't meet the exact description of the house um, that those guys, um, I think there were two defendants that day on the same charge. And they, and because of that argument, they got off on a technicality. They didn't actually go to do time because even though they, they had all the, the paraphernalia, they had all the manufacturing of the drugs and they had caught them in the act because the warrant was made out with a description of the house that was a little bit wrong, they got off. Now, I believe in the process of the justice system, and I believe in doing things right and and not having wrong warrants because it protects the innocent. It protects those of us who have uh, our freedoms and our rights 
and we don't want the law just to be able to come in and, and take over. But in this case, justice wasn't served. That day, justice didn't get served. Two men who had, who had clearly done wrong got off because of a technicality. That wasn't a good thing. Now, was that a mistake that somebody made? Was it better to protect the rights of people and the, and the system of warrants to get into houses? It may have been. That may have been a better thing to be served there, but justice for what they were doing wasn't served. And that was because of legalism. That is what legalism is. It's arguing the case step by step. That is what attorneys do every day in court. They argue and they, it's all legalism. This is what the Jews were really good at um, in the time of Jesus. They had, the, the, you know, Jesus refers to them as lawyers. They were the ones who studied the law. They, they approached things very legalistically. That's the way a lot of people look at grace, <laughs> honestly, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to explain some of that as I get into it. But they see Jesus as just technically getting them off. See where, I, where I'm going with that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain this. And I'm just trying to get into it just now. I want you to think of it, though, that the same mindset coming from a different perspective than what we normally think of. We think of people trying to follow all laws, but Jesus actually, got, in most people's mindset, got them off the hook, just like these two defendants got off the hook on a technicality. Now, in that way of looking at grace, there's absolutely no justice being done for sin. And that's not true. That is not a true thing that God doesn't care about the justice of things and justice being served. The justice that God administers is just much more complete, much more complete than what our perspective of, of each situation is. He makes a way for the freedom of those who have sinned, but he also never, ever lets the injustice of wrongdoing reign. He doesn't let it rain in our life, and he doesn't let it rain in society. That's because he has a more complete understanding, and we get caught up in the moment of one thing, and we think, well, this person should get off, or I should get off because I sinned, and, and so we, we look at it from a technicality standpoint. But that's not the way God looks at it at all. He wants the full picture. He wants justice to truly be done, meaning that the goal is for a person to be reformed, a person to follow him. That's the goal. The goal is, was never to condemn people or destroy people because they made a mistake. Now, it was intended to protect other people from them making that mistake as well, and I'll get into that in a little bit. The idea that Jesus just performed legal technicality is an idea that has made so many people think, well, if I've just simply been covered by the blood, then my sin is done away with. And that's true on a guilt sense before the Lord, if you have truly repented. But repentance is not just simply saying a special prayer or saying a spe you know, special words that allow you to be covered by the blood of Christ. No, it's actually a heart change. And I know we talk about the sinner's prayer and different things like that, and I'm all for those because those words have meaning. But just because somebody doesn't want to go to hell, they want to be in the presence of God or just usually not about being in the presence of God. They just say that prayer. It doesn't mean anything. You can go and you can say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and, and I want to be forgiven of my sins. I, I acknowledge that I have made mistakes and, but you don't actually have a heart change because all you want is fire insurance to not go to hell. That doesn't, that doesn't work. That is not what it's about. And so we have to, as, as the people of God, begin to grow beyond legalism. This is legalism. So you can see where I'm going, how this type of thing manifests 
in our faith in a regular sense the the we think legalism oh oh i'm not i'm not trying to go back under the law and and be justified by work doing the law so i'm not legalistic but in fact it is very prevalent in the way that we approach things i had a friend who has had their their daughter had been to a VBS and they wanted their, their daughter decided you know hey I want to be baptized well they talked to him about what baptism meant and she didn't have all the biblical answers uh, for what it, what apparently what they wanted and so they they basically turned her down and said no you you're not quite ready to be baptized now I don't know if what they meant by that where they were coming from but I do think that a child asking to be baptized is a good thing and it should be embraced. And it's not wrong to go ahead and say, hey, explain it to them. And, then, and they say, yeah, I still want to be baptized. Baptize them. They don't have to have it all figured out just when they say that I want to be baptized. No, that's not what it's about. Like I said, the special words aren't what cover you by the blood of Christ. No, it's actually a heart change. It is a true recognition of who you are, what you have done, why it's wrong, and what's so evil about it. And what destruction comes from the way that you behave and the choices that you make. That's what repentance is. When you recognize those truths, and that's what lets you go forward in repentance, you have recognized it. You have turned to God, which is repenting. And the definition of repenting um, embodies a turnaround, 180 degrees from the direction that you were going. You've changed your mind about what you do, about why you do it about how you do it, and then you submit to the ways of God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is that process. So now, the person who does this, God receives. He's ready to forgive. He's quickly, quickly, and I love this because it, it means so much to me. I, I've, I depend on the grace of God every day of my life. The, the, it gives me so much drive and so much passion for God. But he quickly gives grace and covers all of our sins with the with Jesus's blood. Every single one of those sins has to be something that we've turned away from, though. Understand that. Otherwise, we're going to continue to walk contrary to the Spirit. So I'll say that again. Every single sin that we repent of is something that we've turned away from. That doesn't mean that we won't be tempted again. That doesn't mean that we won't fail in that area again. But it's something that we've recognized as wrong. And so when we repent of it, we're not just saying, oh, Jesus, forgive me, or that let me go to heaven. We're actually saying, no, this is wrong. It's very destructive to me. It's harming me. It's keeping me out of the presence of God. Once you get a little bit deeper, that's, that's one of the bigger things that it's not about, oh, I just feel bad about sinning. It's really, you understand that you can't connect to God because he's perfect and holy. And when you're choosing to bring in something nasty and gross and disgusting, you don't connect with him. Because he has no connection with that. And so we are walking contrary to the Spirit and the will of our Father. Paul clearly says we cannot continue in sin. That's something that is New Testament doctrine that is very, very clear. And so anybody who says that, anybody who feels that way, you need to read the Scriptures. You need to listen to the Spirit of God in your heart because the Spirit of God will lead you. He absolutely will. I remember um, a testimony from Watchman Nee in China. He was called to to go meet this older man who had given his life to the Lord, but he couldn't um, walk, so he couldn't get to church. 
And so he was asked if he would come minister to him. So he went and talked to him and the, he was telling him about the walking and the faith. And the guy was, the guy was explaining all these things that he had changed in his life. And Watchman Nee was like, how do you know about that? You haven't read the Bible. You don't know anything. And he said, he said, resident boss say no. That's the translation. And I love that resident boss say no, because the spirit of God was already in him, leading him and guiding him. And it, it had already transformed his life. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I think that if we're all recognize that it is um, our, we instinctively understand that. But theology, indoctrination, different things creep in and they, they cloud the issue. Um, Paul says we cannot continue in sin because that's not what grace is. <laughs> grace actually gives us the ability to change and be transformed. It is the process that God puts us in. It's the process of having our minds renewed. It's a heart change, a heart change. Everything about that we, what we desire is being transformed, being changed towards sin. This happens by the realization of the calamity of sin. Now, when we understand how actually destructive it is, what it's actually doing to us, to our loved ones, what it's actually doing in society, we understand it and we begin to hate sin. The temptation of it, begins to lose its hold. And the more we submit to that, the more we follow after that reality, we begin to be purified and purged of that to where it no longer has a hold over us. So often, what we call curses in the Old Testament are not actually God cursing anybody. It is when we don't have the blessing of God because our life is not in him. Like I was just saying, understanding the calamity of sin, understanding how destructive it is, the um, the blessings of God that he promises that he will give to people who, who choose him, choose life, not death, because it truly is. It's a death. It's a destruction that leads absolutely to death um, in in reality, but also just a life that has, that is not worth living. That doesn't have anything. Um, it just is hollow and and very painful in most cases. It's not when God curses us. Like we, we I, the Bible term is talking about being cursed because being cursed is the absence of blessing. Just like darkness is the absence of light, being cursed is not having the presence of God, not having the protection of God. Um, our life is not in Him. The Bible describes us. Uh, as being hidden in him. We must be hidden in him so that we are no longer living a life that is flamboyantly proud of what we are doing <laughs> and the things we're doing against the things that God has. So, you know, sometimes that, that we're just so proud of what's going on. And you see this in, in um, culture on so many levels. People are proud of their evil. They're not ashamed of it because our society, because we have not understood that the law of God governs society. That's not grace. That's licentiousness. If that's, if that's anything in our heart that let want, that we want to, to continue in, but we but have the freedom of the forgiveness of God, that's licentiousness, licentiousness. I can't speak. That's a, uh, just a fancy word. That means you have a license to go on sinning, even though you're not being condemned for it. That's the opposite of grace because grace does not give you room to continue failing. It gives you the strength to overcome. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear that. Grace is not licentiousness. It is not the license to go on sinning but not have the penalty. That's the opposite of grace. 
Grace does not give you room to continue failing. It gives you the strength to overcome that. Look in your heart. If there's anything you're dealing with, recognize that you're don't, don't give into any idea that failing is acceptable. Now there's plenty of uh, space. Don't be condemned. I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm going to get into some of that deeper in a little bit, but don't be condemned by that at all. Recognize that if the grace is actually operating in your heart, it will be giving you the strength, the desire, and the ability to overcome whatever you're struggling in your life with. That is, that is the truth. Look at that every single time. You can examine your heart with that because if God's not giving you the desire to overcome it and the strength to overcome it, then what you're doing is not truly grace. Now, legalism is what many teachers will describe when talking about the law, an unrealistic approach to the implementation of the law. It always leads to harming the people that the law is supposed to protect. <laughs> when, when it is applied in, in, you know, you hear stories about judges being no nonsense judges and they just, they, they want to make examples of people in the courtroom. Well, that leads to a kid who, who went out for a ride with his friends and his friends happened to be using um, drugs and cause an accident. And now because he's with them, he gets the full extent of, of what the penalty could be instead of understanding, instead of going and finding out more about it, the law should have been applied with an understanding so that that, that kid could actually have learned and become a very productive member of society. But we throw the book at him. That's, that's legalism. That always leads to harming the very people that the law is intended to protect. It always does again and again. It is wrong to look at laws and implement them strictly instead of understanding that each law has a place. Sometimes a law doesn't apply directly into the situation, but so often we in our, and, and you know, whether you're, you know, it's not just about judges. We do this towards other people. We have this, this notion or idea that, that their behavior is supposed to be a certain way. And so we want to just come down hard. You're not living right. You're not doing it exactly right. So we hammer what our understanding of the law of, of the way God wants us to behave. So let's not call it law. Let's call it, um, just the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, we become very legalistic and towards other people. And so we hammer it into the situation harshly and smash it down on someone who barely even knew what was going on. They maybe even tried not to do it, but they failed a little bit. And we implement this law uh, in the harshest way. It's like giving someone a death sentence for a park t- parking ticket. <laughs> That's not the heart of God. And get this, that wasn't the heart of God with the law in the Old Testament. I've, I've spent some time recently reading, and I've just been blown away by the grace, the beauty of the way that God w- wanted them to understand it, but they didn't. They misapplied it, and we'll get into that a, a little bit here in just a minute. That's the way men always do. <laughs> Humans always. Improperly impl- implementing the law. The law was actually given, it was intended to govern It's intended to protect the innocent. It's intended to govern a nation of people that are trying to serve God and desire to know God. The law deals with people who don't want to serve God as well. They are dealt with through the law. The penalty is not intended to deal with the righteous. Get that. We think of the penalty and we're we're always thinking of it. Oh man, that's so scary. But it's not, the, the penalty of the law was never intended to deal with the righteous. It's for the ungodly because the righteous person repents. 
There was sacrifice made available for everyone. That's the reason why we have sin offerings and all different kinds of different offerings that can be made for mistakes to cover up accidental mistakes. There's, there, there are plenty of ceremonial laws that deal with that type of thing. Um, if you read, it's, it's honestly, it's quite boring a lot of times when we kind of look over it, partly because we have this notion, well, that doesn't really apply to us because we're New Testament. And so it doesn't apply to us. So we, so we miss the heart of God in it. It's because we just kind of, it's boring and we don't study it, but I've been recently studying it. Actually, I was sitting at the, uh, Six Flags, uh, Whitewater, uh, park in Atlanta and, I was re- sitting there, you know, that's what you'd normally do, right? When you go to a water park, you sit and read Leviticus. That's what I was doing. <laughs> I read the first 19 chapters of Leviticus, and I, but I was just blown away seeing the grace of God because all of these ceremonial laws, they deal with that type of thing. They reveal to us, if we actually have our eyes open, that God was not into implementing laws without kindness and love. Everything was about finding the true implementation of the heart to, to deal with what had actually happened. This is a, the mistake that a lot of people on the New Testament side of things make about grace. They think that grace is a new thing from God. It's not. It's not a new thing. It's just that Jesus made the grace that was always there, that was always the heart of the Father, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God did not change at the cross. Get that. God didn't change a thing at the cross. What was changed was our access. He made it available in a way that it had not been seen before because people couldn't understand grace unless they had law. Grace is actually predicated on that. I'm going to talk about that again in a little bit, but there's no such thing as grace without law because the word grace implies that there's something that's being implemented that you need grace from. So that's the heart of God was always there. It's not, it's not just a new, like we think of it because it is so fresh. It is so new. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel like this is that, like their idea is all wrong. It the new covenant absolutely was new. But I've talked a lot about that. What i really see the new covenant was not so much about forgiveness of sins. It was about God doing something far beyond the, the forgiveness that we need. That's why he made he made grace so available for sin because he's trying to actually develop something else. But I don't want to go into that right now. It's just made so abundantly and available, readily available. It's at our fingertips. As soon as our heart turns to God, grace is boom. Grace is available. It's just made so very clear that the grace that was always in God's heart, that's what Jesus did. That's what the cross did for us. The law was given, though, to govern people a nation of people. So therefore you, you have the protection of the innocent. We need, believe me, we need this. You see this, um, when you see different things happen in society, the breakdown of, of law and order and riots and different things like that. We need protection against robbers, thieves that will come in and pillage us. We need protection against all manner of, of evil, all different kinds of things that wants to come and take advantage of the weaker person. That's what evil always does. It uses somebody who's a little bit stronger to take advantage of the weaker. You have all of these laws that are set there to protect us. Now, we always look at sins and act like, well, that law applies to this person. And, you know, that they clearly did this. And so the law says that this, and that's the, that's the mindset we have. Well, and it might apply. It might, 
But also, that law might need to be suspended. Not every law needs to be applied every single time because there are other circumstances, extenuated circumstances that go beyond the purview of that law. But we, in our carnal minds, in our judgmental attitudes, in our legalism, don't, aren't concerned with that. We're like, nope, you did this wrong. You, you know, like the, the Jews were, you walked too far on the Sabbath day. You picked some grain as you were walking through the field on the Sabbath. You worked, you, you know, and they wanted to apply laws in ways that God never intended them. Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. We weren't made so that we are governed by the, the, the Sabbath laws. Obviously, if you don't have any implementation in a society, you have less holiness about the Sabbath, about what God intended it to be. And we live in a society that doesn't have near as much holiness about it. And so it makes it much more difficult to understand it. So that law might need to be suspended Look at so many different instances at the scripture where mercy triumphs over judgment because that was the heart that God always had. He always had the heart, that heart towards the nation of Israel and especially individuals. When it was a situation where they were ignorant or blind in the moment, they didn't know what they were doing. God always wanted to pour out his forgiveness. But like I said, for the nation, this is, this is something that, God always put out there. But, you know, we know that we quote those scriptures, mercy triumphs over judgment, because it does. That was the heart of God. He made a way for that. God made a way for that. In the old covenant, the new covenant, Jesus just made it at our fingertips that all we have to do is turn to him with our heart repenting, recognizing the damage, recognizing the danger of what we're, what we're choosing to be involved in. And so if someone had an accident, you know, um, then they killed somebody by accident. You, they could run to a city where they took shelter. They were not, they were not allowed to be killed for even killing someone um, as a retribution for, for that because they, it was an accident. They could go plead their case and prove that the, it was an accident and they could live their life. That is the grace of God. He's so beautiful. He wants that. He wants us to get his heart and not become legalistic. There are so many areas, different areas of the law that you can clearly see that God wanted it to be just. It was not intended to be a hammer that we just throw down. It just wasn't. That was when I read it again and again, I'm not, that is what I see. I see the hand of God in it. The fingerprints of God are all over this. We a lot of times want to give the maximum sentence to the maximum extent of the law for everything that's ever done. But when you read the law, each law doesn't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't give you that detail because that's not what the law, the writing, I'm t- talking about even in our society. When we write a law, we don't write about all the exceptions. We, we write the law of if this is done, then, then this is the sentence. But that's the problem. When you read the law, you don't get all that there. But that's why you have witnesses. That's why you have the governmental in infrastructure that is intended to implement laws in a fair and just way. They're supposed to recognize the judges, the different ones involved, the police officers even. They are supposed to recognize each scenario and each situation before the law because the law itself doesn't have a mind. It's just a piece of paper. It's It's just instructions, but the magistrates, the officials, especially, they're supposed to be godly people. You are supposed to pray. 
for the people who govern you to be godly people because it allows you to live a peaceful life because they're not going to harass you. They're not going to implement laws in a rigid way or make up laws, especially. But that's, that's, I want you to get that people, God put people in place and they're supposed to be godly people. They're supposed to be understanding because they are not supposed to just implement the law. They are supposed to understand the situation and recognize it. The law doesn't have a mind of its own. So the magistrates, the officials that God did in the old Testament, but also every nation on the earth has, has some level of that. And when you have godly people in those places, they recognize the need. They facilitate the grace of God. They facilitate it. And to the best of their ability, they're going to implement the grace of God that is behind every single law with kindness, with the love of God and the gentleness of God. That's what he calls us to do in our personal relationships in the church, to understand that he wants us to see each situation, each person before God, let the spirit of God lead us and operate in our relationships without this, because that's what legalism does. It turns everything into this harshness, this, the, because they're the instructions, the basic instructions that are written down, don't have a mind of their own, but we do. We have the mind of Christ and we have the, a will of our own to be able to be just and, and be fair and kind and loving. There is no excuse, absolutely no excuse for the mistakes that Israel made before God. There just wasn't. It was very. They they did turned it into legalism in the worst ways. God made His heart known to them, but they chose a form of godliness instead of knowing God. They lost the true power of what following the law would be, because a rigid application of law without understanding God's intent. That's what I'm talking about when I refer to legalism. A rigid application of law without understanding God's intent. When someone is legalistic and is just implementing every little thing, saying, oh, you thought the wrong thing. Oh, you moved the wrong way. Yep, you did the wrong thing again. They act like God is looking at his people that way. God never looked at his people that way. He didn't. They refer to every single seemingly um, harsh judgment from God as if it's their job to implement it, but it's not our job to implement that. The, the bigger picture things that we see God judging in the scriptures, that's not our job. We know never in scriptures that have where this is vengeance is the Lord's. He's going to bring vengeance for the, the bigger picture things that we don't have to worry about. We deal with the intimate, the relationships, the people are supposed to see life and protect the innocent and stop the evil and also recognize when someone has perpetrated evil but has was blind, they were ignorant, and they have give them the way out that the grace of God provides to make that right, to be washed clean. Now, that's what I see when I study the Old, Old Testament. I don't see... <laughs> I don't see a God that is harsh and mean. What I see is a God full of grace. When I see the God of the Old Testament, he was full of mercy. Get that. He did not judge Israel immediately. He didn't even judge the Gentiles immediately because when he was giving the land of Canaan to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, he said, actually, you can't have this. Your descendants are going to have this because they have not become so wicked that I'm going to take their land from them. 
<laughs> That's the mercy of God at, at work. He's so beautiful. There's nothing about God that is ever unloving. He wanted them to have the chance for the fullness of their sins to or to turn around. That's what I see. Everybody's like, well, he knows what's going to happen exactly. Well, you know, he he gives people space. We'll just leave it at that. He gives people space. He didn't judge Israel immediately. When they sin, he waited to judge. And sometimes I'm when I'm reading the stories and I'm seeing what's going on, especially when you start getting into deeper and know how bad the wickedness really became in Israel at different times where they're, they're literally taking their children and sacrificing them in the fires of Moloch. And you're like, come God, judge this. That's, that's our response. But I'm like, God, you waited, you waited too long because of the, the whole nation would become full of evil before, you know, before God would actually do anything to stop it. Um, and lots, again, uh, th- God didn't supernaturally do much of anything. We talk about it. There were supernaturally um, deliverances. God would give them, you know, grace and favor and they would, they would deliver them. But when it comes to it, they would be so evil before God would allow enemies to come in and attack. There were plenty of enemies around who wanted to attack. They were protected. The people of Israel and the people of God, we are, we are protected by God. When we are, when we are covered by the blood and we are uh, repentant, turning towards him and going towards him, we become protected. There's so many things that we're protected from. Now that doesn't mean we don't suffer anything. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that there's never any suffering, but we are protected. The supernatural grace of God extends to that and protects us. They were protected until he would lift that protection. And that's what he said he would do when he talked about the, um, the, all the blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy. We, he uses that terminology, but the cursing, when you actually hear them, the cursings are what happens to everybody else. All the rest of the world suffers disease and, and, and disaster and military attacks from other nations. But God said he would protect them from all those things. He, and so that's what happens when he lifts his protection. He's the one who is controlling that part of human life. It's not our job. It's not our job. But so many times, all we want to do is respond to one act of wickedness. Just we, we look at it, we, we see something done, and we treat others like, well, it's over. You failed. We don't have the heart of God. That was never the way God implemented his own law. He didn't do that. So why should we? We should not. We can see the heart of God in this over and over again in the way that he actually dealt with his people and the, the love that he had and the compassion that he had and the patience that he had, the long suffering that he has. That should be our understanding of how we treat each other, how we understand the grace of God and see it in the bigger picture that he always had it. This leads me to another aspect of legalism. The moral law was never given to bring you justification. And I'm using a lot of terms. I hope you you can keep up with this. But the moral law in the Old Testament that, that God gave on Mount Sinai to the children of Israel was never given to bring you justification. It was never given for that. God gave it so that you could understand how to behave in love towards one another. Get that. That's what the moral law actually does for us. It teaches us how to, to, to recognize some of the more complex things. It doesn't do it by, it's not exhaustive by any sense. There are situations that will arise that are not covered in the, the law. It's just not. It's, but it still gives us the heart of God. It, sh- it lets us know how we're supposed to behave towards other people. And also, 
to protect us from evil men. When you were evil, God gave civil authorities so that you would be stopped. Justification, forgiveness of sins, and the mercy of God came through a contract that God made with the nation of Israel. And the ceremonial laws of sacrifice, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The moral law didn't bring that. The moral law came with, with condemnation for, for failures um, and, and uh, unrepented life. People who were not willing to give the sacrifice and repent from what they were doing. But justification, forgiveness of sin, and the mercy of God came through the contract that God made with the nation of Israel. And they said he gave them the ceremonial laws. Every person, every person with a contrite spirit who would humble themselves and sacrifice to the Lord and come humbly before him with repentance was forgiven. That was the grace of God. That was the contract that he made with his people. And a lot of times this gets a bad rap. That's why I'm spending time on this, because I want us to see the beauty and the consistency of God's grace. This is not a new thing. So this is what I see in the New Testament. It's just made more readily available because of Jesus's fulfillment of the sacrificial order. Everything that was there, the order of the priest that the priesthood performed, all the different ceremonial things were completely done away with. They were just a picture of examples of how God, so that God would show us and through that picture of all the different ceremonies. And it's, it's very complicated. And, and I, I agree. I don't always see it. I don't understand every aspect of it because I didn't live in that time. And I didn't, and I have not taken necessarily as much time as maybe I shouldn't. So I'll continue to, to study on that. Jesus though, made the justification forgiveness and grace of a God available to us through what he did. He fulfilled all that. He accomplished everything that all those things pointed to. They showed the heart of God. They showed the hand of God and made a way for everyone who would come humbly to be forgiven. Now, Jesus does the same thing, only it's right there at our fingertips every moment of the day. We are able to love on him. We are able to connect with God without going through all these different ceremonies or waiting our turn in line for a priest to do it. But God had established all those other things for very good reasons. They depict so many, they depict so many different things about the nature of God and how God wants us to work with his people. All of us believers, we don't always see all that or understand all that. But like I said, this is a great study and I want, I've been studying it for a long time and I don't spend all my time on that because there's many other things in the scripture, but this is a, is a great study that gets overlooked. A lot of Christians just, uh, in essence, overlook that part, or uh, I've described it almost like we, we just kind of rip that part of the Bible out, but it's really, really part of our, the message of grace. Jesus is embodied so much in that we can't fully understand what he did without actually understanding what God already said about it, because God already made his statements about that and Jesus fulfilled it. So on a basic level, the moral law of God was not intended to bring justification, when we think of our, think it was, you know, it's our instinct that comes in. This is, this so is to become legalistic because it's very easy. It's very easy to be legalistic, to follow a list of rules instead of understand the intent behind it so that we actually do what the heart of the person who was talking about that. When you live with someone, they can give you a list of rules, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And it's real easy just to follow, follow those rules to if, the, if they're reasonable rules. But it's not, it's not 
knowing that person. You can't ever use that as a replacement of knowing them. You can get a picture of some of the things that matter to them. Yeah, you can do that. And we can get a picture of that. But it's our instinct to, be, instinct to become legalistic because we always are lazy. Not, not every instance, don't get me wrong, but this is man's, this is, this is the history of mankind. We're lazy. We don't want to actually be close to God. When if, if we're going to let somebody else come and preach to us and teach us, then great, let them do that. I don't have to do the studying. But that never gives the heart of God either. It never will. It can't. You have to actually receive from God. You can receive aspects and seeds can be planted through many people teaching, but you have to go to God. You have to actually receive from him. When we think the law justifies us, that's when we start implementing things in a judgmental way. We become harsh towards others and ourselves even. In that state, we begin to think that every action is going to bring the judgment of God because that's what that is what happens when when you deal something out towards other people, it comes back on you, and so you, you the peace of that God has in your life, you you start losing it very quickly because you're in a state of thinking that the, that's the way God actually behaves, and so you start sensing that that's the way God is treating you. That's what the Israelites did. That's what the Jews did. They formed the perception that God was out to get them. That's, that was never what God said. God was always on their side. He, he, was, uh, he was defending them. He was making a way. He was giving them um, grace and favor in wars, in battles, where they would go out and not a man would die. I mean, it, that's absolutely amazing in hand-to-hand combat that God would protect them that much. That was his art. He didn't want them to, to be damaged. He loved them. But they took on that perception that God was out to get them. And I'll just give a little bit of historical account of that. When they lost their land and the, and the, the, the kingdom of Judah was taken captive to Babylon, we know that process. Um, Nebuchadnezzar came in, and then you have Daniel and Esther and different things that happened in Babylon, but then you have Ezra and Nehemiah in the return. Well, the, after the return, they became very, very concerned with failing. They didn't want to lose their land again because they knew what Jeremiah had said and what other different prophets had said around that time that they, you have sinned and your land is, you're losing your land because of your sin. So what they did, instead of going back to God and saying, hey, we want to know you, we want to have your heart, they took it and made a mu- added so many rules, tons and tons of rules, because they were like, well, if if we're supposed to keep the Sabbath, well, let's let's make it a limit of how many steps we can take so we can make sure we're keeping the Sabbath. And every so many laws were like that, and they lost reality. They lost touch with the heart of God and began to condemn. And just to the point where when Jesus came, he said, he said, guys, you are standing in the way. Your rules and everything is a burden that they can't bear. And you are standing in the way and you're not even entering in. You're blocking the door, but not even going in yourself. That, that was, it was so destructive. It was so bad. And so Jesus had to deal with it. He was dealing with that and he, he delivered us the gospel, the freedom of the message of the truth and the love and the compassion and the mercy of God in, into the world and made that available. So this is what happens in the New Testament as well. Many people will start following God in the simplicity of faith in Jesus and his sacrifice. They recognize that and they see his heart. He's leading them. The spirit of God in them is teaching them to walk in righteousness, to teaches them to do good things that they used to live a completely different way. God leads them to do that kind of thing, to change their actions. This sometimes happens. I mean, this, sorry, this is something that happens, that the, it's a demonic attack of legalism that forms in the hearts of many people. 
they will begin to look at things as if doing the things that God just led them to do is what will justify them. Now, a lot of people don't actually fall into that satanic trap. They just want to do what's right. This is holy. This is just. This is good. And every one of us should live like that. We should all be desiring and participating in good things and removing bad things. And you know, I'm just using kind of generalized terms, but living a life the way God wants us to live is peace. It's comfort. It's abundance. You start realizing that so much of your life is being squandered until you start following God's ways and it becomes more and more abundant, more and more fruitful in every area. Your time becomes more beneficial. You may, you, um, often begin to make a whole lot more money or you use the money that you have wisely because the peace of God now guides your steps and the choices that you make. So that's good. We should all live that way. But the legalistic side of things comes from looking at grace as a technicality. The historic Christian implementation of grace has become a rigid application of New Testament scriptures. Again, remember what I said about legalism? It's a rigid application of laws without the, uh, the understanding of the intent. So the grace in the New Testament, we take scriptures from the New Testament. We pull them out of contextual understanding and taught the law of God. It, you know, By doing that, you make the law of God look bad. Now, I understand there are many scriptures that put it in a context that from the point of view that he's dealing with, like in Galatians and some things in, in parts of Romans are trying to show us, they're trying to really show us how this understanding, we have to separate what it means to be justified by faith and understand that the application of morality does not justify you. And so that is very, very destructive and very, very wrong. It leads to being controlled by religion. It leads to all these other things that I've been talking about, legalism, reigning and ruling and removing that relationship with God. So it is very, very bad, but he's talking about it from that perspective. And so when we lose the contextual understanding, we look at the law of God as bad. As I've been saying, God's heart was always grace. (laughs) They have made the same mistakes. The Christians, historically, we have made the same mistakes of the, that the Jews of Jesus' day made towards the law of God. They called it the law of Moses. Now, I know this gets a little bit uh, minutiae, but I don't like the term the law of Moses because God gave the law. They use the term today. Many people refer to it as the law of Moses, um, but it was the law of God. It was. God gave it. So God gave Moses the law. Many people still say that all the time, and they use that as if the law is a man-made thing. But Paul said it was good and right. Paul the Apostle said that. He's the one who gave us the writings that tell us about legalism and tell us to not be just, that we're not justified by works, we're justified by faith. So if the same man wrote these things, we have to get the understanding right of what, he, what he's dealing with. It wasn't a bad thing. The bad thing is what men did in twisting God's intent. We cannot continue to make this same mistake. We can't. The church is, we've been battling over this and, and arguing that the great debate of law versus grace must be removed. That is, this is, this is a, the, the seeming, seemingly eternal debate that goes on, but it's got to be removed. It's time. It's not the law or grace. We are not required to choose between them. They're both from God. 
They are the heart of God because they implement certain things that teach us that operate in different areas of our life. In the, it, we face <laughs> the very notion, <laughs> you know, I love this because in, in fact, the very notion of grace is predicated on there being a law. I said that earlier. Grace cannot exist without the law being fully in effect and implemented through God's justice, because that's what God's justice is about. It's about grace. No longer being under the law, but under grace doesn't refer to the end of the implementation of the law. It simply refers to the penalty prescribed by the law that we justly deserve. We absolutely deserve it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we deserve the penalty. But that is what he means when he says, we're no, no longer under the law, but under grace. That penalty is being taken, taken away from us. It is no longer over us. We are free from the past. We can no longer be judged as guilty. We can live our life without fear of our past being brought up before God and being condemned for our failures. The blood of Christ speaks better things of us. The blood of Christ speaks that continually. It shows and, and manifests the love of God over our lives that as we've made mistakes, those past mistakes are not held against us because we have recognized what is wrong. We've recognized that we need the love of God and that God's ways are better. They're higher. They're, they're righteous in the sense that they bring justice. They bring the, the completeness to our life. And so the blood of Christ speaks better over us because we have received that covering and the grace of God flows into us. Now, most often, Believers will not go so far as to say that there's no such thing as sin. But I have heard people say that from time to time, actually. So there are some different people that will say that. But generally, they are not, um, they're not really trying to, to pursue the things of God. So I just kind of relegate that to the side. I'm not, but what the simple logical fact is that if there is no law, then there is no sin. Because sin, the definition of sin, the primary definition of sin is the transgression of the law. Jesus said this um, in John 8, 34, he said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Just to clarify, <laughs> in case you're thinking like some people have, and I really um, don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but if you're thinking that he was talking to old covenant believers, he's actually explaining grace and living as a son, not as a slave. He was talking about the legalism that they were under. And so he was telling them what it means and how to be set free. That's what Jesus is talking about. Paul also deals with the same thing in Romans 6, 16. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. That's as simple as it can be that he's showing us that the freedom of God is not freedom from obedience or that the law was done away with. It was, he was showing that the penalty of the law no longer re resides on us who are guilty. We are sinners and we have failed. And so he's teaching us and showing us that's what grace is all about because that's what the sacrifices were. That's what they were, they were about was you were guilty. You offered a sacrifice because you were guilty, not because you weren't. Nobody was perfect. They all sinned. We've all sinned and come short. So 
this is the grace of God. He's showing us the beauty of how God made this available so that we could, because that's what he wanted. He didn't want to just rigidly apply his laws and, oh, everybody's sinned. Oh, they're all condemned. Pretty much pretty soon God's alone again. He has to start over again, right? Re- start with a brand new creation, which is what he did. <laughs> We're the new creation. He did do that. He did, but he did it through the grace. He didn't do it through harsh judgment. I've heard people teach that no judgment for sin, that there is no judgment for sin in the New Testament. And although I know sometimes there's nuances of what they're talking about that, that makes sense and I understand where they're going, but in basic understanding, that is absurd. You can just look at life and see when you are not living in the covering of God, your life begins to fall apart. So like I said, from certain perspectives, if you're talking about that there is no judgment for sins in in the New Testament, you're understanding that that God is covering sin and He's not operating in this this supernatural judgment for for individual sins. But like I've said, I, I've kind of proven that that was not the way God implemented His own law and did that anyway. So it's absurd to think that when you look at life and you see how you know your life begin to fall apart, you begin to lose even your own self-control, even you you might want to save money and you just blow it on drugs because you've made such bad decisions in your life. You begin to make choices that are unwise, ungodly, and you suffer the consequences of those actions day in and day out. Some people teach we're not being judged by the Lord, but we are. God is judging because God's judgments are not bad. They are good. God sees our need and he brings us the, the, the solution. That's what he does in his judgment. And if we don't receive it, then the judgment of the failure and the the curse of not being in the presence of God reigns in our life. And that's what he's trying to save us from. That's the heart of God. So his judgment is just look at it and see what it is and try to do it. God is observing it. He's passing judging judgment on everything, good or bad, all day, every day. That doesn't mean that he's sending supernatural attacks against us. But we won't have the supernatural blessing or the protection on our life. I've already talked about that, so I'm just reiterating. I want God to make it clear. When I start walking the wrong direction, I want him to make it clear. I want it to manifest very quickly, actually. I I, I actually pray for that. I pray for God to show me, don't, don't let me go very far. <laughs> manifest it quickly when I'm, when I'm living and, or going a wrong direction. Because when I see it, when it manifests, when the problems manifest quickly rather than later, it's the salvation of God appearing. As soon as I recognize it, that's the salvation of God because I can stop. I can be spared from all that heartache, all those problems, as soon as I recognize it and receive the salvation that God is, wants me to have. He wants me to have it. That doesn't mean that every single time something bad happens, I think, oh, God sent that to judge me. No, that's, that's not what I mean at all. Don't get that. Don't take it anywhere that direction. It means that it gives me insight to the choices that I've made and allows me to conform to the nature and to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about fear. It's about that that's the opportunity. Every single time I see that I've made a bad choice, that as I'm going through life, I can then be be conformed. I can, instead of being being conformed to the image of wickedness and evil or selfishness, I can be conformed to the nature and the image of Jesus Christ. All right. Understanding legalism, <laughs> um, it, makes, it makes it much easier to come close and have intimacy with God. I believe that the understanding I've presented here is the truth of God. 
It will make his church more free in this area. It gives you the freedom to pursue God without fear that you are fallen from grace by using his moral law to live well. That's what I'm teaching here. I, I believe that this understanding, it makes it so much easier to come close to God because at the same time that, it's, that it removes that fear, what I'm talking about removes the fear. You don't have to live with this oppression that, oh, uh, the, I, I've failed and I'm condemned. It gives you the, it keeps you from being oppressed with thoughts that every time you fail, God is waiting to condemn you. That's, that's what I'm teaching here. And I believe that this will absolutely, as you can see, how I, I described some of the different ways that these things work into everyday Christian belief, even so much as the sinner's prayer. God wants you to understand that these two solutions, understanding that the moral law gives you the opportunity to live well. And at the same time, when you understand his grace that was always there and that was made so available at your fingertips in the blood of Christ right here to cover you and give you that, that power to overcome, you're no longer oppressed with thoughts that, oh, God's condemning me. God's judging me. God is for us. He is not against us. God is for us. Don't ever, ever lose sight of that. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't want you destroyed. He wants you to live a life that is abundant and filled with the presence of God and filled with his power and his authority. That's why he gives us grace. God bless you. Until next time.